With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Talk that matters. Germ Warfare and Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Germ Warfare at tntradio.live. It's my email address. As always, thank you for sending me an email and a special thank you if you tell me where in the world you are mailing me from. I do like that very much. Jump into the live chat. Uh, and uh, hi, if you are watching uh, via Rumble or YouTube. And if you want to actually watch TNT, uh, you can. Just go to the website and you can find all the video links there. We are now streaming 24-7. All right. I think that's that's about all I have to say before going to my guest, Alex. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I come to you for facts. I really appreciate what you and your team do. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Matt Eret, thank you for joining me in the trenches again. Always a pleasure to be with you in the trenches. Yes, it's that's exactly what it is. The information war trenches. And my goodness me, there is a hell of a war going on, isn't there? You could say that. You could say that there there are powerful forces that would like us not to know certain truths mm. and uh, and they would kill to keep those truths uh, secret. So, yeah, you could say definitely that it is a life or death battle and thus war for reality. Yes. Well, on that, who was Henry Kissinger and why should we care? Well, Kissinger, um, I'm sure everybody listening at this point is aware, um, died after a very long and productive, overly productive life uh, last week. And um, he's, he's a figure who left, I think, a permanent stain on human history and uh, did it in such a manner that I think it gives us insight into the, some, some of the, the important governing agencies of uh, mankind. Not to say that he was himself a decider or a causal force behind any of the things that he played a direct role in put in bringing into reality for the worse. But, uh, but there's almost nothing that he touched, which didn't negatively affect to a very high degree humankind. So it's important to, I think, look and evaluate some of the, the anomalies of his life. Some of the, the, the things he did, um, again, as a bit of like a, a sad eulogy, maybe a, a, a lesson for the, for future, future, statesmen learning the art of statecraft in terms of learning what not to do, how not to think. Um, so Kissinger is a, uh, is a figure who I think is, is misidentified as an American imperialist, sometimes Zionist, some, but usually American imperialist is I think how people are, are, are happy uh, labeling him. Um, I don't think that that's the right way to do it. I think it actually deflects away from his real agenda, which which involved doing things that destroyed the USA. And I would say by design over the course of the really the first moments he was brought into the inner clubs and became a, a player in processes back in the early 50s, late late 40s even, but really early 50s, all the way through his death uh, this year. Um, so I don't know if that, if that's as general and vague of a, of an answer I could give you, or do you want to, do you want me to narrow it down a little bit more? <laughs> well, let's, let's narrow it down. Uh, go let's, okay. So wait, he was born. Yeah. Was it Bol, Bolver, where, where was he born now? Somewhere in Europe. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I want to say he was a Hungarian Jew, but I don't think he was. He was born in uh, mm-hmm. in uh, in Germany. He was German. Um, Bavarian, yeah. I'm not too sure exactly of the location. I'm not too sure of his exact birth date. Um, my focus really was when he started doing things that were that were rotten. That was sort of mm. where I I put my attention. Well, um, let's start there. I know that he, huh? Yeah, let's start there, where he started doing things wrong. Okay. <laughs> and it, it's unfortunate, right? Because I I mean I think as a as a young person, a kid. He was very traumatized by his experience of uh, and his family's experience in uh, in Europe during World War II, and uh, Nazism certainly wasn't favorable to Jews, and uh, and so things didn't life didn't get better on a on a multitude of levels in the 30s and into into the actual fighting war part of things. Uh, things were really bad and traumatic, and uh, maybe to a certain extent he he went into politics with the idea of trying to make sure that that didn't happen again. So maybe at that early stage, maybe his heart perhaps was in the right place. But um, he uh, he found himself hanging out with the wrong kids, let's just say. Um, and he, he quickly found himself in Harvard, in a certain area within Harvard, overseen by a figure named William Yandel Elliott. And uh, all, Sean Stone, Oliver Stone's son, wrote a fantastic book called uh, On the New World Order, which dealt specifically with William Yandel Elliott's role as a Rhodes Scholar, a British Oxford Rhodes Scholar of a very high influential caliber, caliber who um, oversaw what was then known in some circles as the Chatham House of Harvard. It was sort of the uh, um, a British fifth column within the USA, which has been building up a, uh, a deep state for a very long time. Um, it interfaces with Fabians and, and Rhodes Scholars, the, the both sort of think tanks operating very closely together since they were both brought online at the end of the 19th century. And uh, both involved using a similar method of permeation theory of permeating every institution you can, academia, governmental, media, corporate, whatever. And uh, and do it multi generationally. So have a have a multi generational view of this permeation of systems that you wish to then um, take control of from within on behalf of an agency which wouldn't necessarily be American. Although Yandel Elliott was born as an American, um, as and, and Kissinger, you could say he became an American, but I think his sociopathic skills, his his um, agility. His mental agility was discovered as a talent under Jan, uh, Elliot as one of his, his, uh, his, they called them William Yandel Elliot's boys. Other one, other, other colleagues of his in school under Yale, uh, Elliot were um, Zbigniew Brzezinski, uh, Pierre Elliot Trudeau was another student. Uh, uh, Samuel P. Huntington was another student. So you can see how a lot of these figures played very big roles in managing the New World Order throughout the the Cold War and beyond. So Kissinger, again, his uh, his star rose. He was he was given um, good letters of recommendation. Found himself very quickly by 1951 or 52, working in the office of the Psycho- Psychological Strategy Board of the CIA. Um, as the uh, the advisor to the director of that board, it had just been brought online um, after a certain remixing, a purging of U.S. intelligence had occurred a few years earlier in 1945 to 47. There was a complete purge. The OSS was disbanded. 
whichever intelligence um, officials within America were still loyal to um, the American cause and anti-imperialism were purged. They were all labeled sort of like red commie here, red commie there. Everybody's a red commie who's not falling into the new Anglo-American um, world order script. So there was a massive purge. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Just to be clear, the OSS became the CIA, if I'm correct. Yes and no. I mean, there were there were elements that were carried over, but there was a big purge, a break. Um, so the OSS, you could say, had a lot more authentic national um, uh, players with influence mm -hmm. within it who were working to create systems of anti-colonialism mm, throughout okay. the world. Um, and the CIA, after the OSS was broken up under Truman, it was literally like months after FDR died and the war was over, the OSS was immediately disbanded by Truman. Truman brought in um, the entire, all of the Rhodes Scholars and the Fabians that Roosevelt was keeping at bay in the State Department, were, they all became hegemonic. They all took control of the UN, um, mm. which was supposed to be a very different structure than in what Roosevelt had imagined. And as soon as Roosevelt had died, probably by poisoning, um, the gates were unleashed and all hell just took over a lot of these institutions. And um, and bombs were dropped unnecessarily on countries that uh, that could have otherwise been completely defeated without annihilating them. And uh, and the uh, the OSS when, once it was disbanded, it took about a, two years for British intelligence to help remake a new American intelligence agency that would interface with the the FBI that had its own foreign bureau. And that became the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency. And um, mm. that was, by this time, being done under the garb of the Anglo-American special relationship that Churchill had called for in 1946 in March, as well as the uh, the same day he called for or that the the US, USA-UK signals agreement that became the Five Eyes, that was signed on the same day. So that's important to keep in mind that the MI6-GCHQ combination with the newly forming CIA NSA was all set up and that soon brought in other countries of the, uh, of the Commonwealth and then beyond, um, which is still managing a dragnet, a surveillance state dragnet today. And it's part of the regime change operations that were very useful for as part of the CIA's primary job throughout the Cold War was largely o overthrowing governments that were not playing, playing by the rules of the game, whether it was Mossadegh mm. in Iran or whether it was, you know, uh, uh, it's a big list, the Dominican Republic, uh, you name it. Um, there's something like 300 attempts to kill Castro, but there, there's like 200 countries that went through regime change between the creation of the CIA all the way up until the 1990s. They're still on, well, <laughs> I, I, I don't know the exact count after the 1990s, but, uh, but it's a lot. Anyway, Kissinger was brought into this um, under the purview of people like, uh, John Foster Dulles at the time. Alan Dulles was still a, a big player, yeah, growing in influence, and was about to take control of the CIA. Um, Kissinger was soon noted by uh, by David Rockefeller, you know, who uh, whose family already was part of the machinery of the deep state for since the nineteenth mid nineteenth century, and uh, and was made a uh, an editor of the of the Council on Foreign Relations main journal, Foreign Policy. That was by 1955. So, I mean, that, and that's the roundtable movement in America as far as the, the, the Council on Foreign Relations. That is 
the Cecil Rhodes Milner Roundtable Movement in the United States is the CFR. So that's their brand, their operating branch. And that's what Hillary Clinton called the mothership back in 2009 or 11. And so you could say the, 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 the British branch is the mothership of the motherships. So Canada has the Canada International Council. America has the CFR. Australia and New Zealand have their own branches. In Britain, it's the Royal Institute for International Affairs. That was set up in 1919 officially. Formally, it was, uh, and, and it, it was sort of, yeah, the, the core think tank of the roundtable movement, uh, managed by people like Philip Kerr, Lord Lothian, a.k.a. Um, Leo Amory, uh, Milner, and others. So, and Rhodes Scholars and Fabians always, always primarily staff these institutions. Um, so all that to say, this is what Kissinger was working for, you know, really learning the ropes. And, um, and he soon became a member around this time of a, uh, of a, of a Rockefeller family, you could say, um, commission in 1956. While Eisenhower was in power, who was a bit of a, a hapless figure who I think meant well, but didn't know what was going on half the time, kind of like a Reagan. I see him as maybe a, maybe a slightly more courageous Reagan, but not a bad guy, but still just confused. Anyway, um, this Rockefeller Commission put out a, a, a report that's still classified to this day, but they, 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 they made a, uh, a public sanitized version of it called Pro, uh, Prospects for America. That was essentially a, a study of America and the New World Order. Kissinger became a leading figure on one of the four panels, along with Henry Luce, or Luce, I don't know how to pronounce his name, the fascist LSD-promoting uh, head of uh, Time Magazine and, and Life, uh, Henry Luce. Um, so him, but also Lawrence Rockefeller, uh, was a big player, always worked very closely with, with Kissinger as well as Nelson and, and a variety of other Rhodes Scholars too who were on the commission. So that, that's, that, that I think earned him a lot of stripes and he quickly was uh, brought into the inner, inner clubs after a lot of this work and was uh, one of the first Americans to be a, an early participant of the Bilderberger Group after that was set up by Prince Bernhardt in 1955. I think it was by 1959. He was already a member. He became a steering committee member with uh, George Ball, uh, a figure who had worked with him with the, on the Trilateral Commission later on. And uh, he's, a, he's the guy who designed the outline in the, in the late 60s for the World Corporation. The idea that only uh, corporate, corporate uh, billionaires are responsible enough to manage the world's resources and populations, not selfish nation states. So, of course, we need to transition to a world of, of private corporate management. And that was part of what the whole Bilderberger Group thing was always about. And that's what Kissinger was devoted to as a, as a worldview, was a system, of, I think you could call it almost a religion of, of, of stasis, where wars would never happen again, because the world would be so controlled and so static that you'd never have any emergence of any threat of any conflict anymore. That might have, I think that might have been his ideological sort of uh, altar that he worshipped on. But to get there required a lot of evil means to those just ends in his mind, in, in, which is where I think we see his work so viciously destroying the lives of millions of people in, in Chile, where he was working with, Kit, with George Shultz, uh, having just become a member of the, the new Nixon administration and overthrowing uh, Salvador Allende, who got killed. Um, who had been trying to, who was a socialist, trying to fight against the uh, United Fruit Company, City of London, Wall Street uh, structures, banking structures that were trying to keep South America 
you know, um, a broken, debt-slaved colony. And so he, that couldn't happen. So, of course, they needed a, um, they need to, to liberal, liberalize the economy, have free markets in South America, cut down the bureaucracy. And that, of course, is something that was going to cut down the living standards of a lot of people by cutting off social safety nets, cutting, you know. Mm. And, uh, and so, of course, you needed a fascist like a General Pinochet to be put, installed and the democratically elected government to be um, overthrown. So Kissinger played a role with that in that operation and then did similar things across the world in Cambodia and Laos and other things. But, uh, but part of that, as soon as Pinochet was in power as a dictator, he not, just, he not only killed tens, if not hundreds of thousands of, of, of intellectuals and protesters, but also uh, liberalized the economy and privatized everything on behalf of the World Bank and IMF. And I know we're probably hitting the need for a commercial break, so I'll, I'll probably yeah. just... Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> You're becoming a pro, Matt. I'll be back with you shortly. Try, My name try. is Jim. This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen. There's a dark cloud which is gathering over Ukraine. This has been an absolute disaster. In the last month alone, as I reported previously, Ukraine's lost 13,000 troops in October. So what does that mean? Well, you can guess that recruitment is probably down. So right now, the government in Kiev, the Zelensky government's doing forced conscription. Morale is at an all-time low. Uh, we've also seen conscientious objectors uh, who are taking to social media like Telegram, who reported uh, that they were just finished a six-month prison sentence uh, after refusing to go to the front line. Some of the forced conscripts rebelled, were imprisoned for six months, did a six-month sentence, and then the day before their release, they were put into a van and then sent to the front line. I kid you not. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT Radio. People might tell you that Lyme doesn't kill people, but we are losing people. People disappear from their lives. One of the scariest things that I had to deal with was uh, memory loss. Not just like, I don't remember what I did last week, but like, I forgot all the words to my own songs. I remember going to my primary care physician and he was like, you are 100% healthy, there's nothing wrong with you. And my response was, that's impossible, I'm dying. I wasn't working. I had all of these hospital bills. We had to move out of our home and move into my parents' basement. I just wish I could have truly been present in those big moments, you know, when she took her first steps or, you know, her first day of preschool. Lyme is such a thief and it goes undetected because no one is looking for it. For more information and prevention tips, go to projectlime.org. CO2 sustains all life on Earth, but now it's in long-term decline. We face the return of an ice age. We mandate that the truth be told. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. So Matt, basically Henry Kissinger was, I suppose in essence, an anti-communist and in many ways, um, I, I don't have too many issues with that because I'm not entirely a communist myself. However, the way in which he tried to mechanize Anglo-American uh, action against those regions was obviously very deadly. It was, it was totalitarian. It was subversive. He was pro-nuclear even, and, and he just wanted to blow up or use the, th the threat of nuclear, didn't he? Yeah, I, I had heard that he was, and I, I've seen 
persuasive evidence that he was the inspiration for Stanley Kubrick in uh, Doctor Strange Loves How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. That uh, that the actual character of Doctor Strange Love that keep that can't hold himself back from doing the, doing the Nazi salute. Um, and sure enough, when you listen to some of his interviews <laughs> around that uh, around that in the fifties on the issue of the use of uh, or whether or not America should be willing to deploy uh, its you know nuclear weapons, um, yeah, you could you you could see it. I could I could I could see the Kissinger having been studied by uh, by Peter Sellers in uh, in putting on the character and and probably designed by whoever actually wrote that movie. Um, so no, I think he saw the, he lived, he lived, I think in a world of psycho, a Freudian psychological projection, the, the unresolved mm. trauma and terror of his childhood is something he, I think carried with him in his gut and that shaped the environment in which his, his, his logical mind operated. Um, so he saw the world as as all imperialists must through a Hobbesian lens, um, a Hobbesian with Thomas Hobbes. I mean, what is that? What does that mean? That means uh, somebody who sees the world system of, of humans as being animals to um, subhuman animals who who can do nothing but fight amongst themselves or selfish or uh, when when there's a community or in a, a nation and that is the sum total of the selfish impulses and thus a nation is intrinsically selfish self-centered and must only look out for itself even if it means and it must thus destroy or go to war with its neighbors to fight for diminishing returns over resources that might overlap both countries that always wants to to destroy the weak right um very in that sense um it's 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 a it's a it's a hypothesis of what human nature is upon which a whole ideological construct is built, and it gets very dangerous when it this this construct defines political actions in the form of guiding the British East India Company's upper upper management, and that's that's the way the British East India Company justified and and funded things like Malthus, Thomas Malthus, who was a Hobbesian, and if that's the case, if the world is always going to be divided amongst itself by parts that are always at war with them, themselves. Right, then the only way to have peace, as Thomas Hobbes says, is through a leviathan, the creation of some supranational entity that can enforce uh, its will upon the weaker selfish elements. So it really just becomes, and it doesn't mean that those are noble, noble moral creatures managing the leviathan. It just means that they're better alphas in the uh, the the jungle. Um, capable of imposing their will and their idea of rules onto the jungle uh, itself. The the alpha pluses of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, if you want to think of it that way, right? They're they're still they're still animals. They're just better at being vicious and satisfying their 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 uh, passions and destroying their 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 opponents than others are. So this is the sort of worldview that Kissinger adopted, unfortunately, and uh, and so in that world especially one defined by, as the Cold War was, by the idea of, you know, um, everyone, we're, we're in an age of, of mutually assured terror all the time. We have to live in terror constantly. That, that tension was uh, what was going to be, is what shaped the balance of powers, the balance of terror. Mutually assured destruction was the official name that Kissinger really embraced as a doctrine. Um so you have to always be prepared to blow up the world. The only way that works um, 
and and the name for this under Kissinger's time was was known as game theory. It was a, a worldview that was an adaption of of Hobbesianism um, under the, uh, the 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 followers of Norbert Wiener and John von Neumann. So the the idea of game theory. John Nash was a big a big priest of this doctrine. Was that um, everybody wants to kill everybody, and uh, and so it's it's. It's only by creating this mutual environment of fear and mistrust that we can all trust that we want to kill each other so we won't make the first shot. And because we're all too afraid to make the first shot, that fear will keep us uh, in a state of relative peace. However, sometimes people break the rules. John F. Kennedy, for mm. example, broke the rules because he came out in 1963 and not just uh, or even earlier and th- threatened to splinter and break apart the privately run CIA that Kissinger was groomed by and splintered into a thousand pieces. He fired its upper level management, Bissell and Alan Dulles and Charles Cabell. He, he, he purged them. He fired uh, Lyman Lebnitzer, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who was another one of these these fanatics who were who were thinking like Kissinger, like we have to be willing to actually go to World War III with Russia over things like the... Uh, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And so really, you know, Ke- Ke- Kennedy and his brother and a few others were among the few who broke the rules. They basically said, no, we're going to we're going to challenge the, st- the structure. We're going to offer Russia to work with us um, to create a new a new system of cooperation on space technology and science together, which would then introduce cooperation, which is not allowed in the Hobbesian world. It's not allowed in the game theory world as a possibility that maybe human beings are actually creatures that look for that problem solve that work together better and find our nature and our happiness and our true selves by working with those who might think and think and look differently from us. That's, that's not something that these computer programmers believe in, but Kissinger, uh, but, but Kennedy did believe in that. So his offer would have been accepted by the Russian leadership as we discovered after Kennedy died, had he not been killed three weeks later, his efforts to also undo and, and, pulled the USA out of the quagmire in, in Vietnam, which Kissinger, again, that was part of the, the Rockefeller Commission report in 1956 that really pushed for enmeshing the USA in Vietnam. Uh, Kennedy was against that. So he had to be be uh, taken down. So it, his brother too. Um, other people like Salvador Allende also didn't believe in the system. There were, there were many leaders throughout the world who called themselves socialists, but that was rel- relatively because there's things within um, within the so-called like socialism per se, it's such a vague term. It's such a vague term. It doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. And sometimes you're taking what works and what, and you're leaving what doesn't work from the idea of what, uh, we'll use the nation state to do battle against forces of colonial empire and in defense of the people. That's sometimes what socialism means to a lot of people. Those are the people who think that way tend to also get killed by the CIA. (laughs) And there's like a big, kill list <laughs> they, they, they ironically kissinger liked certain types of socialists he himself i think would have called himself in some ways an imperial socialist like hg wells did who wrote the book on the new world order um but they only they only like it the way klaus schwab does because i mean at, at the end of the day that's yeah. the idea of, of get there's many ways as hg wells said of getting to a um a, a socialist world government based on a, a global priest class of social engineers and he's a fabian society operative right and as i said the road scholars and the fabian society always work very closely together. 
a lot of the Milnerites, the Milner himself considered himself a, an impure, a socialist, a social imperialist. So that just means they these, like I mean, centralized. These terms are mostly huh? empty, aren't they? Sorry, these these terms well, are mostly empty. They don't really have definitive definitions. No, they keep them. They keep the definitions very controlled, so that we think that yeah. fascism is purely a consequence of nationalism, and that's not true. All of these fascists, mm -hmm. like Hitler, was a national socialist. Mussolini was a socialist. All of the emergence of all the fascist movements from the the nineteen twenties onward, all came out of the international, the social imperialism. My wife wrote a book mm -hmm. on this, on the birth of international fascism. And if you look at Lloyd George, Leo Amory, H.G. Uh, Wells, all of the Fabians, uh, Bertrand Russell, they're all calling themselves social imperial. And what that means is that they believe in a centralized administration of a world state run by a unelected uh, grouping of upper level managers, initiates, that would then be administered in local regions by fascists like a Mussolini or a Franco or a Hitler, or a Japanese frat fascist regime or whatever. The, the Americans had their own fascists around Henry Luce, you know, waiting to take control over Roosevelt's dead body in the 30s. So that would then, that's where fascism was always a, a subsidiary feature of a global system of empire of, under a banker's dictatorship. And that's what you don't learn in modern poli-sci classes or anything of the sort. Now, Kissinger being a Bilderberger, and also working at in the '60s, in the um, in Harvard, in a um, what's called the the Harvard Summer School program, funded by the CIA, funded by the Asian and F uh, Fairfield uh, foundations that were CIA fronts, he uh, here found himself teaching young a young sociopathic uh, talent named Klaus Schwab. And uh, Klaus Schwab, he became a mentor to Schwab, who took on his worldview very, very enthusiastically and soon became a cardboard cutout in a junior branch of what some might call a junior Bilderberger group, sort of a more diffused version for the, the lower the lower rung operators that was set up in 1971, the same, the same month even that Kissinger was um, beginning to put online the uh, the trilateral commission that officially came online in '73, but it, but the ball was already moving as he was uh, national security advisor and soon secretary of state for for Nixon, um, and uh, and part of the mandate, the manifesto for the trilateral commission, was to uh, to bring about a a, techno a a technocratic management of the world that would have less freedom, more controls by a five eyes. And, and that's what Zbigniew Brzezinski, another trilateral, um, explicitly stated in his um, um, Caught Between Two Ages, America in the New World Order or something, America in the Technotronic Age, that's it. Um, so he lays out that's sort of the manifesto for the Trilateral Commission. And that, that redefines American foreign policy away from its traditional anti-colonial roots, which were defended by JFK, Lincoln, FDR, and towards a new view of Malthusianism, that uh, that the world must be redefined as being not a world of abundance or a world suffering under empire, which has to be defended or it, that has to be protected from systems of empire, which is how the former American foreign policy traditions had tended to lean, um, and technological assistance would be granted to help fight poverty and war and all of these other consequences of living under systems of empire that would be scrapped and under Kissinger's lead we saw the the installation of things like NSSM 200 
the National Security Study Memorandum 200, that redefined the world as being a world of scarcity, and that uh, mm. America's true interest was ensuring that the poor nations of the world that had wished to have industrial development following the the Japanese model would not get that because that would re- that would mean that they would start utilizing the resources under their soil, old oil, gold, gold, whatever, cobalt, uh, yeah. other industrial minerals. That would be thus impossible. He listed 15 countries. China wasn't on yeah. the list, but it was certainly the highest priority in his in his mind was to get them under the under the control of this new system he was bringing online with the Bilderberger Group with Klaus Schwab. And I mean, um, look at us. And so, I mean, yeah, on, on the African continent. I mean, yeah, I mean, we've got so much gold and platinum, and uh, that that really mm-hmm. caught caught their attention decades ago. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I mean Kissinger's role. He, there was nothing he didn't touch. I mean the 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 the, mat, mm. the the destruction of Angola, the overthrow of of nationalists in Angola, who uh, were trying to to nationalize and take control of the resources there, as well as more broadly. There's so many countries. I, I just did a a, a present uh, an interview with Petey Lawton, who runs the Africa Agenda uh, platform, and and she just yeah, went through great. a long list. Yeah, I mean huge list. Another South African, actually, a colleague of yours. Yes. Um, yeah, and the list of, of, of African countries that, that got uh, annihilated by Kissinger's uh, yeah. operation was was insane. The amount of millions of deaths just to keep the, the nation exploited under a system of capitalism, right? So it was all done under the name of capitalism, but not really because they just saw this as another gateway to get at the type of socialism that they like, which is imperial socialism, utilizing um, ideologues controlling corporations increasingly who didn't care about money they just cared about controls and maintaining and that's this is part of also kissinger's uh, creation of the petrodollar too during this early period of the 70s ensuring that the uh, the yom kippur war he managed the entire yom kippur war from the white house while nixon was on vacation yeah he was Um, kept nixon nixon yeah, well, you know, he he made sure that uh, that that things worked out in a certain way. After the the, the whole thing was not mm-hmm. necessary. I mean, uh, e- Egypt was already Sadat was already trying to create a peace a peace deal early on. Um, I, I think after day one, um, it could have ended right away, but Kissinger ensured that the thing just become protracted in order to create a, um, an effect of scarcity. So he arranged with the OPEC countries, Saudi Arabia. Um, he, he, he arranged and coordinated with them a, um, a sanction, a a cutting off of oil to any, any nation, especially the USA that supported Israel in order to have the effect that was very predictable of, of jacking up the price of oil by 400%, um, that would then create an, an, an intellectual, a shock effect in the baby boomers, especially that, that we don't live in a world of, of abundance. Like you thought we did stupid baby boomers. We live in a world of scarcity. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and that was useful. It also created the petrodollar. So it detached the U.S. dollar by 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 coming out of this process and negotiating with certain leading factions within the Saudi deep state because there were good Saudis who were against this. I think uh, mm-hmm. King Faisal, who got assassinated in '76 by the, um, he was he was in opposition. He wanted to get Saudi Arabia back onto a pro-industrial and technological progress track that it had formerly been moving on in the early '70s before the uh, the Yom Kippur War. Um, but he got killed. There was a purge of the Saudis as well. And, and only the worst elements were kept in who agreed to say, okay, we'll have the U S dollar and the Saudi and Saudi petrol tied together. The OPEX as a whole agreed to this. And that took the U S the value of the U S dollar off of any standard 
or metric that was tied to the health of the U.S. economy. So now it was it was because everybody needs oil. So everybody has to trade in mm. their their oil deals in U.S. dollars. So the value and the demand for the U.S. dollar would just thus always increase independent of the fact that that the the productive powers would be destroyed systematically in America under Kissinger and, and the next 50 years every year. So the economy was was being destroyed and you couldn't see it because the value, the demand for the dollar for some reason was always increasing, creating the biggest bubble we've ever had. Your timing is great, Matt. I'm going to quickly go to a break. I'll be back with you shortly. My name is Jerm. This is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. They say that everybody has a podcast these days, and I recently found out that Roseanne Barr has one, so I guess it's true. Now, I soured on Roseanne when she did this at a Padres game back in 1990. Well, here she is 33 years later on a podcast, hers, with none other than Tucker Carlson. Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to the Roseanne Barr podcast. I got a good one today. I got the guest of all guests. How do you feel about Trump saying he would consider you for vice president? Oh, gosh, I don't know. (laughs) I put that in the category of asteroids striking the Earth. (laughs) Good or bad, Uh it's so far outside, outside of my control that I... Would I mean, you? I'm flattered. Yeah, it is flattering, isn't it? For sure. But I mean, it's hard to, you know, I've never been in politics. I've never. Would you ever do it? Would I accept? Yeah, if I you really have to think you. about that. Um, I mean, I spent my whole life looking at politicians and commenting on them and passing judgment on them. And I've never run for, you know, room mother. And so the idea of that is so far from anything I've ever done. It's kind of hard even to imagine. I didn't hear the word no. <laughs> Did you? Thanks, Roseanne. And thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT Radio Vision. Prescription drug pricing points to corporate mountains. Freedom of the press is about your right to know. It's about your right to be informed. Today, there are real threats to press freedom. And your right to know about the world around us. We must protect our right to know, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Before it's too late, understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org You're listening to Germ Warfare with Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, Matt, you haven't mentioned yet that Kissinger was also the, um, uh, what was he, National Security advisor, I think, of the U.S., and also the Secretary of State. Yeah, and he he did this, I mean, largely he was, he served as president um, during the, not only the Yom Kippur War, but but in during the, the time when Watergate, the Watergate scandal went public and Nixon became more and more admired and meshed in that whole scandal, he became a bit, a bit of a, just a, a lame duck president who wasn't able to do very much. Spiro Agnew had, uh, had been flushed. And Kissinger was largely running the show um, for a sustained period in in a strategically critical moment of American history. And um, yeah, I mean, not like we we just talked about before the commercial break, he not only initiated the petrodollar, he oversaw the NSM 200 report during this time, 1974. It It was classified until 1990 or something. It was only people within the Vatican, certain people in the Vatican who at the time didn't didn't 
um, like the fact that this was classified and they 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 did an, a FOIA request and got it got it public, such that we know about this that the U.S. foreign policy was going to be geared towards population reduction, um, population control, even threatening nations with uh, withholding food if they didn't regulate their populations. So he was what was called a neo Malthusian as were all of the trilaterals around David Rockefeller. David Rockefeller was also hosting the um, the world pop the world population conferences as well, um, promoting the um, the idea of global population reduction. The thing that was making this argument seemingly palatable for people um, was the idea that this was now scientifically proven, and it was through the computer models of the Club of Rome that were brought into the uh, the World Economic Forum in 1973, funded by uh, Prince Bernhard, who funded that that 1973 World Economic Forum conference Limits, that brought Limits in Aurelio Pichai. Yep. Uh, that's the Bilderberg guy. And, uh, and he... <clears throat> and so these things said, okay, look, computers have now proven to us that we can chart, input all of the resources we use in population uh, growth rates and do linear extrapolations into future, which pre-binary computer models couldn't do. So now we have a scientific way to measure when the population crisis will be at its optimal carrying capacity. And yeah, by the way, we already overreached it back in 1973, says these guys. And they they, they basically all came about with a consensus that their computers said about 1 billion people would be the maximum uh, carrying capacity for the earth as far as what the global leaders of the world should permit as manageable um, acceptable numbers of people. So China was early on targeted for that. The Club of Rome brought in their their computer models into China. Um, and I think that was part of the backdoor dealings that Kissinger wielded from the early 70s as part of his program to extract industry from the U.S., from the West, and and bring the the former, like, to, to basically give the manufacturing over to China, but on the condition that China would impose self uh um, population control measures under the trilateral sort of worldview, and they would then be given money, but they would never be allowed to 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 get out of the the debt slavery and and the the sweatshop working class that they would be forever expected to live in. While the West was going to be the consumer society, we would be we don't need to produce anymore because now our our the value of our U.S. dollars are tied to oil which is tied to speculation, which is tied to a deregulated global system, which also Kissinger oversaw by bringing in, along with the um, the other trilaterals, like Paul Volcker, who was a trilateral commission member, working closely with, with Kissinger, the, um, the Austrian school uh, ideologues like um, von Hayek, uh, Friedman, were all brought in, given Nobel Prizes in the 70s, and, and their policies were used to justify Reaganomics, Thatcherism, that, that liberalized the economy, that basically allowed banks to do mergers that they would never be allowed to do otherwise. Under universal banking, that's where the too-big-to-fail model came in. The, uh, the mergers and acquisitions of the 80s as well ensure that only members who are part of the inner initiates of Bilderberg would be allowed to control, be the leaders of mm -hmm. industry. They weren't, ma uh, they sorry, weren't themselves I, motivated by money. Yep. I added Milton Friedman there, but I had my microphone off, so I don't think you heard me. I think he was also part of that. Oh yeah, Milton Friedman, Von Hayek, uh, mm -hmm. the whole the whole mm -hmm. nexus were brought in. And so you can see that, that even though they said that they loved liberty and capitalism, it was just another another useful way, another pathway of several different pathways to get at um, destroying the sovereign nation state, making it impotent to have any influence over the economy, 
ideologically you're you're not allowed if as soon as you try to be in a nation state doing things with the economy the way JFK did or Lincoln or anybody it means you're a fascist so you that's impossible so the only people who are allowed to have a play who have any say in things are the private sector uh uh players but the private sector players are completely being gobbleized and homogenized by these uh, technotronic ideologues who don't even care about they also they ultimately want to destroy their their capital base so that that was sort of the the sleight of hand and a lot of consumers because we were given super malls and dollar stores and and a lot of drugs we were happy to just go along with this corruption as we became more dependent upon nations being exploited and that's how sort of we sold our soul I think or, or acquiesced to that bringing us into the biggest financial bubble in history with no ability to support it with the real economy. Now, Kissinger was not American. And this is, I think, the most important thing is people say, oh, this is big, bad America at action. And at the end of the day, his whole life was devoted to and was managed by um, British imperial thinking, British imp imperial operatives like William Yandel Elliott um, and many others throughout his whole life. He gave a speech in May 10th, 1981. Um, it's his famous Chatham House speech. Um where he describes how during his time as Secretary of State under Nixon, he's, he kept the British Foreign Office more highly briefed and informed than he did his own State Department. It was symptomatic, as he describes it in his own words. I'm, I'm barely paraphrasing what he said. And he also describes in that same speech, it's a, I, I, I actually published it in my book on the Clash of the Two Americas. It's such a, a, an important speech for people to read. He describes the the paradigm, the two opposing paradigms of how the world should work from the American versus British represented as in, in his speech by the, the battles between Franklin Roosevelt and Winston Churchill, who had two, two very different views of how the world should run after the war was over. And, um, and he describes how um, Roosevelt was naive, stupid for believing that colonialism could end and that industrial progress could be granted to everybody. This was a naive and foolish view. The world could never work that way. Um, and he uh, describes his devotion to Winston Churchill's worldview as being the only sane and responsible one. So that's an important, I think, point. And I think when you look at the fact that he got knighted, he actually was made a knight of the Order of St. George and St. Michael by Queen Elizabeth herself in 1994 is another good point that he's actually Sir Henry Kissinger. Just as uh, as George Bush Sr. also got knighted by the Queen in the Order of St. George and St. Michael <laughs> um, around that same time for their work in creating the 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 NAFTA, the uh, you know, the entire idea, which Kissinger said is the greatest step towards the New World Order is NAFTA, which coincided at the same time the, the North American Free Trade Agreement, which is essentially a, a massive free trade zone for North America that would crush small and medium enterprises and ensure that only private corporations had um, uh, had basically legal power over sovereign nation states, um, which is why you would be able to sue a nation state if it did protectionism, as mm -hmm. happened under, um, under Trump when he tried to bring in protectionism before NAFTA was killed. He got um, uh, legal, he had to deal with legal issues with the World Trade Organization that were uh, because of, of belly aches and complaints by Christia Freeland in Canada saying that, no, the rules are free trade. So 
that that's that's what Kissinger was. I think part of what what earned him is with many other things his uh, knighthood. Well, Matt, as we come in for the last few minutes of of our chat, a lot of this conversation about Kissinger and in general any conversation about Kissinger is always about uh, the net effect that he had on the world. But I know this is a difficult one, but did he have a net positive effect on the U.S.? He destroyed the U.S. No, he oversaw the destruction of the U.S., yeah. Um, no, I, I think everything he did was negative, net negative in varying degrees on every metric from military and economic uh, to cultural and sociological um, that you could possibly want scientific, any any type of metric on policy you wanted to 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 uh, use and see, well, what was his effect, positive or negative? It was all it was all negative, and 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 by design. I think the idea was always mm. from the earliest moments of the det- the detaching of the U.S. dollar from the fixed exchange rate in 1971 that he also played a role in overseeing with George Shultz, um, which floated the dollar onto the um, under the floating exchange rates, right? Such that the value of the dollar would be tied more and more to speculation, what people desire in the moment instead of any actual industrial metric that was then further enconced in the petrodollar in 73. The desire, the design was always to create a bubble and bubbles are always tools of economic warfare for those in the know, whether it's the tulip bubble, the Dutch tulip bubble, or the South Sea bubble of Britain, or any of the bubbles throughout the the 19th century, they're, they're always designed to blow up in a controlled way when those in the know design, decide to prick it, like the Great Depression was one of those bubbles. Those in the know did a w- giant wealth transfer because they sold their stocks short before the bubble, or not short, they sold their stocks before the bubble was popped, and they basically took control of all of the actual farmland, wealth, industrial capacity of the USA in 1970, uh, 29 to, to, to 33. And those not in the know, who are the majority of stock market brokers, people who just believe in the popular narratives that money makes the world go around and they just want to make money. These are low-level people who unfortunately are not bad. They're not in on the game. They're being laughed at and they're disposable as are the majority of the people working on NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange, I think, or even in the city of London, I would say 97% of the people are are pretty, they're, they're just playing the game like they're supposed to as good fools, dupes. And most other people who are not engaged in the stock markets, they're just trying to live their lives. They, have, they don't, they don't want to think about how the world actually works um, from the top down. And these are, these are all of the, the things. So Kissinger created something that, has now been ruptured. The global system is is a bubble, not an economy. There is a way to fix it, but that requires doing what people like Franklin Roosevelt, like JFK, like Lincoln had done earlier with the Greenbacks, national protectionism, declaring a debt jubilee, breaking up the banks, like was done in the in the 30s when Roosevelt brought in his team against the uh, the deep state. Which is why there's so much hate on uh, against FDR these days. It, there's so much concerted effort over 80 years of a uh, reconstruction of history to to hate on FDR because there's a fear that people will study what he did to break up the new world order attempts in 1933 and in, in 38 and 44 he he did so much to and he survived assassination attempts he brought in constitutional banking he did things that anybody could do today and in fact are doing today if you look at some of these Eurasian countries and you look at how they've been able to survive and do battle with the the Malthusian depopulationists centered in London and Davos 
um, it's because they've revived those same principles of national economy that were done by JFK and FDR and Lincoln uh, throughout the ages. And they've done it again. It's just a, it's taking on a, a different Eurasian form in its own way. Hmm. Um, and we could be doing that in, in our own parts of the world if we knew our own history and weren't mentally uh, inoculated from investigating what exactly was the New Deal. How did it work? How is it not the same thing as the Green New Deal? How, you know, so all that to say, Kissinger was was always devoted to the Churchill worldview of managing the world by a one world government, a new global British empire. That was always his view with the illusion of democracies for the local, local people living in little mini micro communities, you know, uh, thinking that they have some say because they could like have a community vote over a stop sign um, if their if their social credit score is is, you know good enough they've eaten eaten enough bugs that that week <laughs> um so yeah kissinger net net negative overall all right matt let's uh promo your work and your show on tnt yeah okay cool yeah, yeah thanks um yeah i just started a few weeks back um every unfortunately most people in australia australia won't be able to listen live unless you're really a night owl that's all right it's, Nobody uh, cares about Australia. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I don't necessarily endorse that from my Australian listeners. Ger Germ has uh, has established himself that he can he can do that. I can't. Do that yet. Um, <laughs> well, did you see? Did you see Joel giving me the finger there? And that's funny because Joel isn't even that. Australian. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on, Matt. Go on. I, but but was that the finger? Or was that the thumb? I thought it was a thumb. Was it a thumb? Oh, he gave thumb. a thumbs yeah, up. He gave you a thumb. He gave yeah, a thumbs up. Okay, Joel agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right, quickly, let's, yeah, let's no, promote so, your show. Yeah, so it's connecting the dots. Uh, every Saturday, uh, I'll say it. So Eastern Eastern time, Montreal time is uh, New York time is eleven to two, eleven a.m. to two p.m. Saturdays. And uh, no, it's been fun. It's a fun experiment. Usually, I'm 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 giving interviews, so I'm talking a lot. This is a good exercise in shutting up and listening to people. So uh, my <laughs> wife my wife likes it. Um, and uh, no, it's um, the idea is to provide a lot of history, like I often do, and, and the idea is to mm -hmm. to give a lot of the the philosophical. And I want to try to get in different guests who can both deal with geopolitics once once a week. Yes. Uh, some history discussion once a week and also something dealing with something a bit more maybe nonlinear like science or uh, or psychology. So, yeah, we're, we're still trying to find our flow, but it's it's going well. Matt Eret, thank you for joining me in the trenches as always. Always a pleasure. Yes, and it is also always a pleasure on my side. Uh, thank you, Alex and Joel, uh, for keeping the show going. Joel is... Uh, Joel is the one who agreed with me about nobody caring about Australians. Sorry, Alex. I know you're an Aussie. <laughs> send, send me an email, germwarfare at tntradio.live. Tell me how much you, you agree with me that nobody cares about Australians. Now, I'm only, you know what? I'm going to get so much hate mail. Um, <laughs> let me it's just, like you, let me you, just you, end. It's like you can't, you can't. Let me just end it now. there. It's like, it's like I can't no, stop. I'm just gonna keep going. I'm just gonna keep going, dude. I'm gonna die on this hill. <laughs> All right, let me, let me go. I'll see you tomorrow. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas.